Before we went to Israel, I was teaching you through Samuel, and we were looking at the life of King David. Now we're going into 1 Kings. Um, transition. David has gotten old, real old. He can no longer really function as king, but he hasn't formally announced his successor. Those within the know know that God chose and he chose Solomon, but nothing's been said. So his oldest son goes and gathers a bunch of men around him, including some dignitaries and, and a priest, and blows the trumpet and says, here's your new king, without David's blessing or approval. Well, when Bathsheba heard about this, Solomon's mom, she went to David and said, didn't you swear to me that my son was going to be the next king? And she got a prophet, and she got a priest, and they went to David. And David said, you're right, I did make the promise. Today's the day it's going to happen. So after some political intrigue, you can read about it yourself, uh, Solomon becomes the next king of Israel. Solomon was a really good man for a while. And then he became a really bad man for a while. And then he became a really good man. So the first lesson about King Solomon is going to be called the Rise of Solomon. We're just going to look at good Solomon. And then after Christmas, we'll probably look at the fall of Solomon. I do encourage you to read about these kings on your own at home because there's a lot of details in these stories as we go through kings that I won't be hitting verse by verse. We're going to cover 10 chapters of Solomon's life today. So I'm in chapter 1, verse 3. I mean, yeah, chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. I don't know if I've ever seen a thousand animals in one place at one time. Maybe when I was young and I lived near some dairy farms. But can you imagine how many a thousand sheep are? Or a thousand cow? And to sacrifice them? I mean, how long would that take? How much blood was there? How messy was that thing? A significant thing in the Bible was that Solomon wasn't just offering animals. He was doing it intentionally to honor God and to draw close to him. So the fact that it was a thousand means that Solomon was real serious about getting right with God. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Can you imagine that? God's showing up to you right now, tonight, in your room, while you're sleeping, and says, you name it, you got it. What do you want? What would you ask for? Hmm, I'd like to win the lottery every week for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, what would you ask for? Think about it for a minute. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who's able to govern this great people of yours? What do I want, God? I want to be a good king. Make me wise so I can make good decisions in ruling these people. You've let me be king. Let me do it well. The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this, and not for long life, 
or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. Listen to this. So that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. King Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. Plato was smart. Solomon was smarter. Socrates was wise. Solomon was wiser. Solomon is the smartest slash wisest man who ever lived, obviously excluding the Lord himself. Since you've asked for this, I will do it, and I will make you the wisest man who ever lived. Not only that, I'll also give you what you didn't ask for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream and he returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. There's many things about this story, but one of the things that strikes me is Solomon asked for wisdom. But it seems to me he already had some because he knew what to ask for. Does that make sense? He was already on the path of wisdom, or he had never asked for wisdom. And then he asked for something that wouldn't benefit himself personally. And so he didn't ask for the typical things people would ask for. Money, fame, long life, victory over his enemies. That's what you'd expect somebody to ask for, not Solomon. God said, because you didn't ask for him, I'm going to give him to you. James says this, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know when the dog chases his tail trying to find happiness, and he never seems to get it? Somebody said, yeah, I found a dog, Steve, that actually caught his tail. And I said, great, but did he catch happiness? <laughs> no, he caught his butt. <laughs> That's not a good thing to be chasing. With God, we're not supposed to chase after those things. We're supposed to chase after Him and let Him fill in the blanks. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Just make sure we do like Solomon and don't put the cart before the horse. So Solomon was wise. The next story in there is the first example of how his divine wisdom came about. Two women come to Solomon, uh, harlots, the scripture calls them, and they've got a living baby with them and maybe a dead baby. And this is what the women say. One of the women, women speaks, says, we both had babies at the same time. They're the same age. While we were sleeping, I realized that my baby was dead and her baby was alive. But when I took a closer look, I realized it wasn't really my baby. She took my baby in the middle of the night and switched it with hers. And they brought this to King Solomon. What would you do? How do you know whose baby's who and who's telling the truth? No, that's my baby. No, that's my baby. And they're even the same age. So even close friends, if they had any, wouldn't have been able to tell whose baby was whose. So here's Solomon with his first opportunity to administer justice with an impossible situation. But what's impossible with man is not impossible with God. Solomon had the perfect solution. He said, take the living baby, divide it in half. Just cut it in two, give me a sword, and she can have one half, and they can have one half, and that's fair. Now this is Solomon's first job on the bench. 
maybe they really think he's serious. And they look at each other, and the one lady says, no, no, she can have the baby, she can have the baby. And the other said, no, that sounds fair. I can't imagine somebody ever saying that, but there are people that way. My baby's dead, your baby can be dead too. There are people like that. Solomon wasn't about killing babies, he was about getting to the truth. Now he knows the truth. The woman who wanted the baby alive, who was mortified when the sword was fetched, that was the mom. And everybody was like, wow, that was brilliant, King Solomon. Look what God has done for King Solomon, giving him brilliance. So he had brilliance. He was wise. He wrote the Proverbs. There's a book in the Bible called the Proverbs, but it's really not a book. It's a collection of Proverbs. And he wrote most of them. You want to know how to have a wise, good, productive life? Read the book of Proverbs. You want to know how to handle your finances? Read the book of Proverbs. You want to know how to deal with dignitaries? Read the book of Proverbs. Basically, if you want a successful life, read the book of Proverbs. The wisest man who ever lived has given you advice on how to have a good life. Read the book of Proverbs. He also wrote Ecclesiastes, another book in the Bible. He was wise. But God also said he was going to make him wealthy. And we can see his wealth by looking at the temple he built for God. Listen to what it says about the temple. The inner room was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high, all covered with pure gold. There's a show on TV called Gold Rush. Anybody watch that? Gold Rush, let me see your hands. All right, there's a few of you, yeah. These guys are tearing apart the Alaskan wilderness, taking tons of gold, and just for a little handful of dust. But if they can get, you know, the stuff's like $1,500 an ounce. So all they need is a little bit. Gold is extremely valuable. What would it cost to cover a 30 by 30 room in solid gold? I, I don't have a clue, but he was rich. The altar was covered with cedar panels. The inside of the temple was covered with gold. And gold chains were placed across the entrance of the inner room, which was also covered with gold. The whole interior of the temple was covered with pure gold, as well as the altar in the most holy place. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. Silver is over $30 an ounce right now. They didn't even care about silver. It was worthless in those days because they were so wealthy, because Solomon... All of Solomon's drinking cups were made of gold, and all the utensils in the hall of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. No silver was used since it was not considered valuable in Sol Solomon's day. <laughs> oh, silver? Ta. King Solomon was richer and wiser than any other king. Every year, King Solomon received over 25 tons of gold. Every year, he received over 25 tons of of gold. So I did a little math. When I got on the internet, gold was 1,600 an ounce-ish. I rounded it down to 15. One ton of gold, then, is worth $48 million. He got in, every year, 25 tons of gold, which on today's market, at $1,500 an ounce, $1 billion, $200 million in gold, every year. That doesn't count all the other manufacturing, produce, spices, camels, wool, incense. This is just gold. One billion, two hundred million dollars in gold. Can you imagine? A little country. 
One king, that wealthy. When God chooses to bless somebody, he blesses them big. He was wise, he was wealthy, and he was godly. I showed you his wealth a little bit by talking about the temple. His passion in building the temple demonstrated his godliness. All his sacrifices demonstrated his godliness. But nothing more so than the prayer he prayed when the temple was being dedicated. And you can read his prayer in the book of 1 Kings. I'm going to read to you a portion of it to give you an idea of the heart of this man. So just picture him in this glorious gold-encrusted temple with tens of thousands of people at the dedication of God's temple. And the king, on his knees in front of all the people, in front of God, God's temple, with his arms stretched out, praying. Then listen to some of his words. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people Israel, each one aware of the afflictions of his own heart and spreading out his hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with each man according to all he does, since you know his heart, for you alone know the hearts of all men. And when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt. For you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance. He not only prayed for the children of Israel. There's a section in there where he prays for all the Gentiles too. Wherever they may be. If they'll turn towards this place, please hear their prayer and answer their prayer. I didn't see any eyes in there. Please give me this, please give me this, please give me this. This had nothing to do with, with, with Solomon. Solomon built a place of atonement, and he begged God before the entire nation that it would work, that God would hear people when they turned to that place. Every Saturday at Congregation Bethsar Shalom, we ask everybody to rise. Please rise. And then we say, please turn around and face the east. Please turn around and face the east. And then we do the most famous of all Jewish biblical prayers. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and all your mind, and all your strength. And then we chant it in Hebrew. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And then we turn around. And you may turn around. Why do we do that? Because of what Solomon said? We pray towards that place even to this day. That's why Jewish people go to that wall. That's why they pray towards that wall, because that's the closest they can get to where the temple once stood. And you may be seated. Thank you. 
Is it required to pray towards that place? Of course not. Our God lives in heaven. Wherever you pray, he will hear your prayers. But I can relate to Solomon's prayer. You know, at that temple, Jesus walked. At that temple, he will walk again. It will be rebuilt, and he will walk again. You know, he's going to set foot down on the Mount of Olives, which is right next to the temple, and walk in. Does something to my heart when I turn and face that holy place. I like how he gave his entire prayer over for other people. We just finished our lesson on the Lord's Prayer. And I emphasize time and again, it's not about us. Our Father, forgive us our sins. Boom. Same prayer that Solomon's giving, but with much more detail. So speaking of sins, a key part of his prayer, chapter 8, verse 46, says this. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. If you've been coming to Book of Life for a while, and I were to ask you to give me the definition of sin, chances are you could, because I repeat it the same way every time. Sin is three things. Sin is doing things God does not want us to do. Sin is not doing things God does want us to do. And sin is the inability to stop ourselves from failing in number one and number two. There's something broken in us. We could commit ourselves to a perfectly moral life and we will fail. Why? Because there's something in us broken. It's called sin. We have a disease of the soul. Solomon knew this when they sin against you. Not if. When they sin against you and turn towards this place. For there is no one who does not sin. He knew that. I know that. Hopefully you know that too. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. That place wasn't built for the ifs. Because there were no ifs. It was built for the whens. In fact, there was sacrifice going day in and day out at that place. That gave the Jewish people the concept, there's a lot of sin. And my sin results in the death of an innocent animal. And somehow the death of an innocent can make God's judgment pass over me temporarily. That's what atonement is in the Old Testament. It's not the removal of sin. It's not even the forgiveness of sin in the real sense. It's the temporary passing over of judgment. It's kind of like a pass, a hall pass. You can be forgiven for your sin for now. Deferred. It's an IOU. But the temple couldn't take the sin away. It was only a shadow. And that's what the book of Hebrews tells us. The law of Moses is like a shadow of the good things to come. This shadow isn't the good things themselves because it cannot free people from sin by the sacrifices that are offered year after year. If there were worshipers who already have their sins washed away and their consciences made clear, there would not need to be an ongoing sin offering every year. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. It only reminds people of their sins from one year to the next. 
So it doesn't take away their sin every year at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It just reminds them that they still have sin that needs to be taken care of. The priests do their work each day, and they keep on offering sacrifices that can never take away sins. But Christ offered himself as a sacrifice that is good forever. Now he's sitting at God's right side, and he will stay there until his enemies are put under his power. By his one sacrifice, he is forever set free from sin the people he brings to God. So the temple that Solomon built was a place of atonement, a place where people could go to temporarily have their sin overlooked. But it wasn't a place where sin could be dealt with permanently. It showed them that year after year, they still needed permanent, real sin removal. So the temple was like a beacon pointing to Jesus. One day, the Messiah will come and do what this place cannot do. In the meantime, don't forget you need peace with God, and don't forget you're a sinner. That was it. And don't forget that an innocent being can die to make atonement for your sins. It was a huge object lesson. The object lesson of all eternity was in that temple. He was wise. He was wealthy. He was godly. And he was famous. Dignitaries from all over the world came to consult with him. The most famous is the Queen of Sheba. Um, nobody's exactly sure where Sheba is. Some think it's Ethiopia. Some think it's Yemen. It was far, far away from Jerusalem. So wherever this woman came from, she had some serious initiative. Because it wasn't like checking in at American Airlines. It was like checking in at Camels R Us. And I can't imagine sitting on a camel for several weeks to months would be something I just want to do to go meet somebody. So she must have thought he was really something to take a trek across the continent to meet with this guy. Out of all the dignitaries that consulted with him, she's the one mentioned in the Bible. There's a legend about her. It's not in the Bible. A legend is that Solomon and the Queen of Sheba hooked up. She went back home, had a baby, and started a whole new branch of Jewish people in Ethiopia. Well, there are Jewish people, black-skinned Jewish people in Ethiopia. Thousands of them have been airlifted to Israel and now live there, but many are still in Ethiopia. This one tradition says that's where they came from. Other traditions say no, it was after the dispersion from Babylon. Nobody's really sure. But also because of that legend, and by the way, the Church of Ethiopia believes this legend. They, they believe it, they push it. Um, but because of that legend and other legends, some believe that the Ark of the Covenant was taken away from the temple before it was destroyed, transferred down to Ethiopia, and is there to this day. I don't believe that, but there's a church that says it's in there. I'm just thinking, you know what, if it's, if it's in there, I'm going in there with a the camera and I'm finding out. You know? Well, you're not allowed. Stop me. I'm sure the Mossad's been in there at least half a dozen times just to make sure. You know what I'm saying? I doubt it's in there. But you never know. Jesus spoke about the Queen of Sheba too. 
The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus spent most of his time ministering in Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, three Jewish cities near the Sea of Galilee. He traveled between them often and did most of his miracles there in that area. But the leadership of all three of those towns and most of the citizens rejected him, would have nothing to do with him. So Jesus is saying, let me get this right. The queen, a Gentile, comes from the ends of the earth to meet Solomon. You have the Son of God here, and you want me to leave? She's going to rise in judgment against you. And I tell you what, she was a lot wiser than those guys. A lot wiser. I found it interesting that Solomon prayed for wisdom. I believe he already had some. And God exploded it and made him the wisest man who ever lived. This queen, she was very wise. She realized it was worth her time and money because she brought tons of money to Solomon. Presents, gold, um, spices, just to spend some time with him. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, isn't that an interesting statement? When she heard about his fame and his relationship to the Lord, she decided to come meet him. Solomon's wisdom and his wealth and his temple was a testimony to the world. God didn't just make him smart for smart's sake. And he didn't just make him smart to be a good ruler. God capitalized on that. People heard about God because of Solomon, which is a good thing. If God makes you famous and influential, use that as a tool to testify about God. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. So apparently she was a sharp cookie herself. She came with, you know, I've got all these questions about life, about science, about economics, about religion, whatever. I don't know. This guy supposedly knows everything. He's the smartest man. Everybody says, I'm going to go find out for myself how smart he is. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan. Just imagine a presidential entourage, but instead of cars and trucks and motorcycles and helicopters, camels. With camels carrying spices, money, large quantities of gold, money, precious stones, money. She came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. By the way, Solomon wasn't just a philosopher. He was a scientist. If you had questions about um, biology, he would answer them. If you had questions about mathematics, he was your man. Questions about astronomy, go see Solomon. Questions about architecture, architecture, go see Solomon. Civil engineering, Solomon's your man. Philosophy, see Solomon. Want to know about religion? See Solomon. He was a very wise man. The Renaissance man of his time. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table... The seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, the entourage and all the pomp and circumstance, the cupbearers, the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. 
There was no heart left in her. Her knees were weak. She couldn't handle it. This great, famous, powerful, rich queen comes to another king, and he's so amazing, she's just overwhelmed. So the queen travels from the ends of the earth in pursuit of wisdom. Solomon prayed for wisdom. Now I asked you earlier, if God came to you and said, I'll give you one thing, chances are you are thinking money, the health of a loved one, a success in your business. Chances are you weren't thinking, gee, I'll ask for wisdom. Most of us don't think that way. But now that you know how Solomon thinks, and now that you know how the Queen of Sheba thinks, what do you think Solomon would recommend you ask for? You don't have to guess. He tells us several times in the book of Proverbs. Here's one of them. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she, wisdom, understanding, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Long life. In other words, if you pray for long life, you get long life, but not riches. If you pray for riches, you get riches, but not long life. You pray for wisdom, you get riches and long life, because they come from wisdom. Wisdom is the most valuable thing. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold on her will be blessed. For those of you who get upset with the maleness of the Bible, you can own this chapter. Because <laughs> wisdom is a woman. So God asked Solomon what he wanted. And he prayed for the right thing. Wisdom. As the wisest man who ever lived, he told his sons throughout the book of Proverbs to make wisdom their primary pursuit in life. You don't got to be real smart to figure out maybe we should do the same thing too. By the way, biblical wisdom isn't just philosophical, ethereal. I told you he knew architecture, he knew science, he knew math. It's knowledge in general and the good application of that knowledge. That's what wisdom really is. So go, learn, study. Start with the Word of God and go out from there. Here's a real blessing. God did not come to any of us and say, what do you want? But he did offer something. Listen, James, the apostle of the Lord, said this. If any of you need wisdom, you should ask God, and it will be given to you. God is generous, and woe not, will not correct you for asking. This is one thing about yourself that you're encouraged to pray for. I don't want to raise your hands because the next thing I say might insult you, so I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because I don't want to insult anybody. 
But I'm sure most of us have heard this passage before. And yet, if I ask most pastors in Tucson, would you say most of the people in your churches are wise? They go, you're kidding me? And then they start telling stories about the stupid things that people are doing in their churches. Why aren't we the wisest people on the planet? God has offered us wisdom. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is want it. That's it. Now, I don't mind asking you this. I won't embarrass you. How many of you want wisdom? All you have to do is ask. Looking at Solomon's example, looking at the Queen of Sheba's example, looking at what Jesus said about persistence in prayer, let me encourage you to ask. And ask and ask and ask until you die and go to heaven. Just keep asking, and you will keep getting wiser and wiser and wiser. If any of you need wisdom, you should ask. I like that. If any of you need wisdom, what a humble way to say it. James, he didn't do it like I did. I put you all down. James was like, well, if you think you need wisdom, go ahead and ask. If any of you need, if, if any of you need wisdom, we all need wisdom. God is generous and won't correct you for asking. So let's do something. Let's ask. And just for the fun of it, everybody stand up, turn around, and face the place Solomon told us we should face when we ask. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Lord God, grant us wisdom. Wisdom that we might be a blessing to our families. Wisdom that we might be a blessing to our church. Wisdom that we might be a blessing to our friends. Wisdom that we might be a blessing to our city and our nation and this world. Grant us wisdom, we pray. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And all God's children said, Amen. We have a prayer room over there. If any of you feel like you need prayer, there will be a few people over there to pray with you. Um, by God's grace, I'll see you Wednesday night for services at 6.30, 5.30 if you come for dinner. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great week. And by God's grace, I'll see you Wednesday night. Bye-bye.